back to episode 68 of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. My name is Josh. I'm here, as always, with Troy. What's going on, Troy, this Sunday afternoon? Not a whole lot. Watch the Gopher men's hockey team redeem themselves and beat St. Cloud State. So I think they're on to... No, they're in the Frozen Four. Is that what it was? For his... Oh, yeah, it was the Fargo final, the regional final. Yeah. yeah, so they're in the Frozen Four. Good. Logan Cooley looked awesome. I'm really excited to see him eventually get to the NHL. I didn't get to see the game. It was an exciting game. Yeah, it was awesome. Gophers, I feel dominated. Huge show for you today. There's never a dull moment in hockey cards. That's what I'm learning in doing this nope. show. Just when you think, right? We had a big master class last week, and then we had Upper Deck drop all these bombs on us. And uh, so we're going to definitely discuss those today. But before we get going, I want to remind everybody that the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast is a Patreon podcast. That means that we really rely on support from listeners like yourself to help us cover our expenses produce hopefully more and better hockey card content, and help fund initiatives even in a small way to grow the hockey card hobby. Right now, you can take advantage of of our out of 99 support level tier and for $5 a month, support the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. Super easy to do. We have a website, hockeycardsgongshow.com. There's a link there to become a patron. You can go to the Patreon website, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Hockey Cards Gong Show. There's also a link in the show description for the podcast app you're listening to us on right now. And finally, in our link tree on our Instagram and TikTok accounts, there's a link there. Since our last show, Troy, we have two new patron members that have joined the Out of 99 Club, High Gloss, CBJ, and the Niche Hockey Cards. They've been both active in Discord, which has been fun to see. Discord's been crazy lately. It's like all of a sudden, you, you said you were getting overwhelmed when you logged well, in. Well, I, I was telling you, I would sign in and look at Discord, and it'd be like 35 new messages. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I got to keep up with this a little more than I have in the past. Yeah, it's been awesome. And thank you, everyone, who is in there right now and contributing. And we hope to see more people join soon because it just makes it better and better. All right, Troy, you ready for the game plan? On today's show, we begin with hockey's greatest player to wear number 68. I'm guessing most of the people listening to this know who we're already going to talk about. Then it's off to Who's Hot and the Struggle Bus. We then take a look at some hobby news. And this is followed by, I'll call it an emergency interview with Upper Deck's Billy Cilio to talk about the recent announcements of changes to the flagship Upper Deck hockey set for the upcoming 2023-24 release. Lots of good information from Billy. Then it's off to new product releases, and we finish the show by taking a look at the athletic survey of current NHL players and compare some of the answers to the questions they received and how that kind of compares around what we see in the NHL card market or hockey card market around hobby love, etc. All right, Josh, I'm ready. Are you ready for number 68? This is a big one. Exciting. Big one. Big one. Lots of research. Helped that we did a little bit of research on him when we did the Mount Rushmore's hockey's most famous 68 per the hockey writer's greatest player to wear each number article is Yarmir Yager. Loved him. Overview. Right winger. Fifth overall pick in the 1990 NHL entry draft by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Played in 1,733 regular season games over a 24-season NHL career. That's a lot of seasons. That's a lot. Yager started his career playing 11 seasons with the Penguins. This was followed by seasons with a plethora of teams. In order, after Pittsburgh, Yager played seasons with the Capitals, Rangers, Flyers, Stars, Bruins, Devils, Panthers, and Flames. There you go. In total, Yager played for nine NHL teams. While that is a lot of teams, it is not the most teams ever played for by an NHL player. I had to look that up when I read that. 
That record belongs to Mike Sillinger, who played for a whopping 12 NHL teams. So Yager still had three left by the time he uh, left the NHL. Can you picture Yager's basement with all his jerseys on the wall? Oh, I bet. Doesn't he seem like the guy that just wouldn't even have that stuff? Just Probably. (laughs) It might be in a box somewhere. Awards and accomplishments. Hall of Fame. Not currently in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but will be once he is eligible for inclusion, which based on Troy's scientific research, I think is 2026. I'm fairly confident in that prediction that he will make the Hall of Fame, though. But normally you have to retire first. The wording says retire. You have to be three years retired from professional hockey, which with Yager, who knows when he's... Well, we'll get to it. I actually have a little a bit yeah, about okay. his professional career. I do believe he will make the Hall of Fame, though, when he is eligible. I think that's a pretty good bet. He is a two-time Stanley Cup winner with the Penguins. He was named to the 1990-91 All-Rookie Team. However, he did not win the Calder Trophy his rookie year. That went to Eddie Belfer. In fact, Yager was sixth in Rookie of the Year voting. He was behind Ed Belfer, obviously, Sergei Fedorov, Ken Hodge, Mike Richter, and Rob Blake. I thought that was just an interesting little nugget that I saw when I was researching him. You a big Ken Hodge guy? Must have had a good year. Yager is a one-time Hart Trophy winner, five-time Art Ross Trophy winner, with four of those being in a row. Three-time Ted Lindsay Award winner, one-time Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy winner, 13-time NHL All-Star Game selection, seven-time NHL First All-Star Team selection, one-time NHL Second All-Star Team selection, named to the NHL's 100 Greatest Players list. He was also number five on the Athletics Top 100 Players of the Expansion Era. And last but not least, Josh's favorite accomplishment, Yager is a member of the Triple Gold Club. He has a Stanley Cup, I'll get this right this time, a Stanley Cup, a World Championship gold, and an Olympic gold medal. There we go. Lots of accomplishments for Yager. All right, let's look at stats. During his NHL regular season career, 766 goals, which puts him fourth all-time, 1,155 assists, which puts him fifth all-time, for a whopping total of 1,921 points, which puts him second all-time. I don't believe that that record is in danger of Ovechkin eclipsing, right? Because Ovechkin doesn't have like a ton of assists, I don't I don't think so. Plus, Yager just gets credit for 24 seasons. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like he was a chump either. He he had really productive seasons most of the time at the, tail, at the end of his career. Some of it kind of dropped off. But I don't know for sure, but I think you're right. I don't think that one's in any peril, but someone will let us know if it is. Yager made the playoffs in 18 of his 24 NHL seasons, compiling 78 goals, 123 assists for 201 points in 208 playoff games played. Best season of his career from a point standpoint was his 1995-96 season where Yager had 62 goals, 87 assists for 149 points. So I kind of did my little, here's my spiel on Yager. Yager is obviously an NHL great by points and by longevity. He was the greatest player in the NHL in the late 90s. I don't think you can argue that. He was winning awards all over the place. When you read about Yager, especially young Yager, you can see what made him great. He hated losing. He was actually, and I never really knew this about him, he was ahead of his time when it came to training and keeping in shape. Like he was a workaholic and was really good about taking care of his body. A lot of focus on his legs, which I think back then, maybe a lot of people didn't do training as hard as he did, which kept him relevant for a long time. 
Also, Yager was a big body that once he got the puck and used his rear end and his tree trunks of legs, he would just shield the puck and it was almost impossible to get it from him. And I was trying to think how else to sum up Yager, but then I read the whole athletics article and the writer Josh Yo near the end really sums up Yager. And I'm just going to read this because this is almost perfect. And we'll start with the quote. The mythology of Yager over time has grown perhaps even bigger than the man himself and is just as mysterious. He's the guy who refuses to give up the game despite moving into ownership and whose legendary workout regiment allows him to keep going while his contemporaries have been done for decades. He's happy one day, sad the next. He's a genius who we never really understood. He saved the Penguins, then turned his back on them a decade later to play for, of all teams, the Flyers. He speaks openly about how religious he is, once upon a time received red carpet treatment at every Vegas casino. He would get booed in Pittsburgh in his later years, but laugh about it afterwards. Then when he didn't think anyone was looking, he'd look sad, and it is because those boos actually hurt him. There wouldn't be a Pangs without him after all. And what they focused a lot about in this article is, yes, Lemieux ended up buying the Penguins and saving them, but Yager actually saved them from an on-ice perspective when Lemieux couldn't. Lemieux had retired. They were still going through bankruptcy. They needed to make basically get money, make the playoffs, and then here comes Yager and kind of leads them. And on the ice and gets the fans excited. They make a first round win. I can't remember the year. No, that's the year. But it, it was really interesting looking at the dichotomy of how Lemieux saves them from the financial standpoint. But actually, Yager did a, just, or not, I don't want to say just as much, but a lot to save the Penguins also on the ice. Well, they needed to sell tickets, right? Yeah, and for sure. the draw. Yep. I think, so, too, is it fair to say that Yager stands alone, alone in the Mount Rushmore of hockey here? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. There's some pretty good hockey hairs. I was always a Ron Duguay fan. He had some sweet hair too. But Yager, yes. When you have, I'm not. I didn't mention it this time, but I remember when we did the Mount Rushmore. I mentioned about that traveling group, like called the Traveling Yagers, and they all have the huge wigs. Yager probably is a standalone with his hair. He's the goat of hockey hair. Yeah, Gretzky's the sure. goat of hockey. Yager's <laughs> the goat of hockey hair, in my opinion. Definitely. All right. So that's kind of the overview. Let's get to fun facts. Tried to find some different fun facts. And now, since this is the number one, we do know why Yager wears number 68. He wears number 68 in honor of the Prague Spring that occurred in Czechoslovakia in 1968 and his grandfather, who died while in prison that same year and had earlier been imprisoned by for opposing the collectivization of his farm in the post-war communist takeover of Czechoslovakia. So actually a pretty significant reason why he wears 68. Yes, yeah, so he just took his family's farm? And communized it essentially, basically, and and you, if you read more into it, like he's pretty out. He'll, I don't know if he was outspoken during his career, but he's kind of talked, opened up more about it, and he said he's not against Russia. He's against the communist thing and taking my grandfather's farm, basically. Yeah, so that's what happened. They came in, took his farm, and his father wow. got in jail, or grandfather got put in jail, and ended up dying there. Yager is the current owner of the. I'm going to get this wrong. Retiri Kladno of the Czech Extra Liga. And sometimes still suits up, but mostly spends the games in the dressing room. Yager has admitted that he is considering retiring from professional hockey as he's too busy with team administration and lacking motivation to play a physically demanding game. So I think as he gets older, <laughs> it's almost there where he's going to stop playing and just focus on the ownership piece of it. And then our last fun fact. It's played a long from- time. I mean, it's that's well, you, you, you hear a lot with like players that as they retire, it's not. 
just cases where they physically can't do it anymore. It's the mental being. Oh yeah, he's he said he's not. He sometimes he, he yeah he says he's not. He doesn't say not motivated. It's hard to get motivated is what he said. All right, and our last fun fact from 1981 to 2001. So 20 year period, only three players won the Art Ross Trophy: Gretzky, Lemieux, and Yager. In fact, Yager has won the Art Ross Trophy more than any other non-Canadian player. That's amazing. 20 years. 20 years three and years. three guys won it. Wow. I didn't believe it. I actually went and looked. <laughs> I had to like make sure. And I'm like, yep, that's right. All right. Lots of good stuff on Yager. His rookie card, 1990 OPG Premier PSA 10. We've talked about this card many a times. Has a pop of 3,423 with a gem rate of 30%. However, Krill, I think, is on the heels and maybe has passed it. Has he passed it yet? I haven't checked, but I haven't checked. I'm excited to. <laughs> so this card, um, right now, March of 2023, this card is going anywhere between $150 to the low 200s. Again, huge pop count, but a low gem rate. So it's not like this thing's going to shoot up in, in pop count, but for that PSA 10. But it's actually pretty affordable if you want to get a PSA 10, PSA 10 copy of Yager's rookie card. I did a Instagram post today in honor of Yager for nice. an in-person signed 90 Premier PSA 10 that just set a record for 2,026 US dollars, I think. Oh, wow. All right, Yarmir Yager, the man, the myth, the hair, the legend, number 68. It's so much funner now that we're into guys like that I've heard of. <laughs> okay, I want to make a quick Slab Sharks mention. The Slab Sharks weekly eBay auction is live. Head to SlabSharks.com and click on their auction link to get forwarded to their eBay store and see all these sweet hockey cards available this week. Reminder, their auctions are weekly and go Thursday to Thursday. A couple of, gosh, they have such nice, especially modern cards in their mm-hmm. auction tribe. I looked really quickly before we started recording. There's a 2019 Nick Suzuki Young Guns Clearcut Exclusives. PSA 10, pretty cool. There's also a 2019 Kale McCarr Young Guns Clearcut Not Exclusives, but a BGS 10 Pristine. There's a 2014 The Cup Leon Drysaddle RPA out of 249. That's pretty awesome. And then another one that really caught my eye was a really nice patch in auto on a 2019 Exquisite Collection. You know I love my Exquisite Collection. Austin Matthews patch auto out of 10. Not a rookie, but a really, really nice card. If you're a Canadian hockey collector and you're looking to turn some of your cards into cash, you should consider Slab Sharks for consignment. They take all the hassles from selling your cards on eBay, like dealing with buyer questions, tracking down payment, and especially shipping your cards to the U.S., which is always a pain going mm-hmm. across international borders. You can find more info on their consignment services at slabsharks.com. Okay, it's Monday. Every Monday, we go through who's hot and the struggle bus. I feel like we've had some different names on here lately, too, which is kind of nice, kind of fun, especially on the who's hot side, Troy, to see some new guys picking it up at the well, end of the year. I'll, I'll be honest. That's kind of one of my things now. I try to do, too. I'm, 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 I wonder if we're both kind of doing it subconsciously, because you can only like, talk about the same guy over and over so many times. Guess what? Connor McDavid was good again. <laughs> Connor McDavid, awesome again. So the first guy I'm going to highlight this week and who's hot is Nick Suzuki. The young 23-year-old captain of the Montreal Canadiens had a pretty good stretch over his last seven games played with two goals, 10 assists for 12 points. Definitely been a rough year, Troy, for the Canadiens. Although Suzuki is on the brink of a career year, so I suppose that's a bright point. Mm-hmm. He's already matched his last season's career high of 61 points. So good chance with a few games left. He'll eclipse that. But he is also or he has already set a career high in goals this year, 23. 
He scored 21 goals last season. And albeit in small increments, actually Suzuki's goal production has increased in all four of his NHL seasons. So that's kind of nice to see. He had 13 goals, year one, 15, 21, and now he's at 23 with the... He has only, though, Troy, been a .26 goal per game score in the NHL, which is not exactly what we like to see, but he does have a pretty good goal-scoring pedigree prior to turning pro. In his four OHL seasons, he scored 141 goals and 251 games played. That's a lot for mm-hmm. .56 goals per game. So I think if you are inclined to think that he's really on the come up and eventually will be kind of one of those breakout candidates. The fact that he's increased his goal production every year in the league and he came from a strong pedigree, that might give you confidence that he might be someone you want to look at. Uh, as I did mention, though, it's been a rough year for the Canadians. They currently have the fifth fewest points in the league with 64. Hasn't helped. Were big injuries to Caulfield and Slavkovsky. So again, I, I kind of look back at Suzuki and he's going to have a career year in points and Hasn't had a lot of good teammates yep. to work with so because they keep going down. So I, I think that's another little feather in his cap. I think they'll be better next year, of course. Who knows if they get Bedard and conspiracy put your tinfoil hat on there. <laughs> I would like to see him get like 30-plus goals and 80-plus points next year. And then I would, I think I'd be more, even more confident that he could be a bankable hobby star in the future. From a hockey card perspective, he's a 2019 Young Gun. His PSA 10 has a pop of 787 with a 44% gem rate. Last sold Troy for 215 US dollars on March 25th. This card's been a little bit of a slide mm-hmm. lately, down 11% in the past month and 32% in the past three months. So again, if you're a Suzuki guy, we're going to hit the off season. We're probably going to get into a, a pretty good buying period for picking up his cards. You got the next one. Second player who's hot, Jeremy Swayman. Some people might be a double take. Like, isn't he the backup goalie? Yes, he is the backup goalie for Boston. But guess what? He's hot. And it's kind of hard to get in the spotlight when you are behind Linus Allmark right now, who's a world beater. But Swayman has been playing really great the past two weeks when he's gotten the opportunity to start. And that's all you can really do. Play well when you when you get a chance. In fact, he's played so well, he was named the NHL's third star of the week for the week ending March 20th. Over the past two weeks, Swayman has three wins, one loss, with a 1.52 goals against average and a .949 save percentage with two shutouts in four games played. In fact, his two shutouts were in consecutive starts for Swayman, which is the first time a Bruins goalie has had back-to-back shutouts in consecutive starts for that goalie since Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask accomplished this feat in 2011. I thought that was crazy. Thank you, you, NHL, for putting that in your (laughs) write-up, your press release on his third star of the week. But that was an interesting fact. Currently... Swayman on the season. Now listen to this. Swayman, the backup, on the season. 19 wins, 6 losses, 4 overtime losses with a 2.19 goals against average, a .92 on save percentage, and 4 shutouts. This puts Swayman for goalies. 3rd in goals against average, 4th in save percentage, and tied for 4th in shutouts. Obviously, number 1 in goals against and save percentage is Linus Allmark. Boston, you have to be loving your goalie situation. You have two awesome goalies, and you got to love it going into the playoffs, having those options coming in. Again, part of their great seasons are related to how well the team is doing and how well Boston's playing. Yeah, the playing, blue line. But, I would but still, you got to stop a puck, right? I mean, not every shot's a little yeah. dump in. You, know, you got to stop it, and they're doing both a fantastic job. All right, Swayman, 2021, Young Guns, number 226, PSA 10, has a pop of 399 with a gem rate of a paltry 33%. Yikes. Currently goes anywhere around 65 to 80 US dollars. However, and we've talked about this a little bit past episodes, 
early October, this card was going around 150 US dollars. In fact, I think I might have sold my raw for like 70 ish dollars when I first pulled That's it. That's crazy. Which is, you know, right now what a PSA 10 goes for. So if you think Swayman's going to have, I mean, he's got, he's got a future. He'll be a starter somewhere. Who knows where it's going to be? Is it Boston? Is it somewhere else? But if you want to speculate on him, it seems like a good time to jump in, especially with that low pop count, low gem rate, pretty cheap price. Well, and this is where I think in this current situation with Swayman, where that low gem rate really works in your favor. Yep. There's a lot of young guns that are really tough to invest in because you're so afraid of the pop counts getting out of control with the high gem rate where yep. he's in the backup role. So he's not doesn't have the spotlight shine on him. And if you can get in 65, 70 bucks at a 33 percent gem rate and, you know, what could that card be worth three years from now? Mm-hmm. You know, 200, 250 bucks wouldn't be if he plays well and he gets a starting job either in Boston or somewhere else that I could see it being somewhat realistic. OK, next guy who's hot, Nathan McKinnon, Troy. In his last eight games played, the 27-year-old Colorado forward has four goals, 12 assists for 16 points, giving him 31 goals, 62 assists, and 93 points in 60 games played on the season. 93 points in 60 games played. That's pretty impressive. Last year, he had 32 goals, 88 points in 65 games played, so he's already doing better than his Stanley Cup winning season a year ago. In case you're wondering, his career best season was in 2018-19 where he had 41 goals and 99 points. Boy, he just couldn't get to that 100-point threshold. <laughs> just one point short. One point short. So he still has not yet had a 100-point season. Also, the 41 goals in 2018 was the only time he crossed the 40-goal mark. One thing about McKinnon, though, that if you go and like look at him on Quant Hockey or whatever reference site you look at, and you take a look at his stats by year, he's really consistent. It's actually pretty. He's typically like a 30-plus goal guy, 90-point player almost every year. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Colorado is currently third in the Central Division, and they're look to be pretty firmly in the playoffs at this point. Playing great too, eight two and zero in their last ten games. So I don't know, Troy. They might be peaking at the right time. They had a pretty slow start to the year, but they seem to be ramping it up. McKinnon, of course, benefits from playing on a really good line. Right, he's got Valeri Nichushkin and Mika Rantanen on his line, so that doesn't hurt. He's a 2013 young gun. His PSA 10 is pop 1,192. Last sold for 561 US Troy on March 22nd. It's down about 4.5% in the past three months. This is a card that it's probably going to be is what it is. It's just going to slow grow. I'm assuming into his retirement, he's probably on pace to have a Hall of Fame career if he keeps playing well. But you could see a little spike in the playoffs if they make a deep run and he continues to play well. Yeah, I just looked it up real quick because I want to always now I'm like a gem rate snob, but. The gem rate, what is 57%. So I just don't know how many 2013 young guns are yep. sitting out there, what the yep. print runs were like at the time. Exactly. All right, there she is, pulling up and ready to roll. The struggle bus, Troy. You got the first uh, occupant of the bus this week. I do, and it's someone I don't think we probably ever talked about, but trying to find those new people. Cody Glass, 23-year-old Nashville center, has hit a rough patch the past couple of weeks. In the stretch, Glass has one goal, one assist for two points in nine games played. Glass is currently centering the Predators' first line with Philip Tomasino and Matt Duchesne as his wingers. He's also on the Preds' first power play unit and is averaging over 17 minutes of ice time during this two-week stretch. So that's kind of what led me to believe he's struggling. When you're the first line center, you're on the first power play unit, and you're averaging around 17 minutes over this stretch and only producing two points in nine games. 
might be a, a struggle bus candidate. I'm curious. I didn't, I was trying to find like, is he, you know, nursing an injury or what's going on, but I couldn't find anything really. On the season, Glass has 10 goals, 17 assists for 27 points in 60 games played, which is a career high for Glass. And while he hasn't produced a ton of points this season, he's still doing pretty good. And But he's hit this obvious rough patch. I think he's he's a younger guy. His young guns is a 2019 young guns. PSA 10 has a pop of 190 with a gem rate around 58%. Again, you're not going to break the bank, but this card goes around anywhere for around $30. But at the beginning of the year, it was in that $50 range. So maybe if yeah. you were prospecting on Glass at the beginning of the year, you've kind of taken a hit. Cody Glass was what, just a name I haven't seen a lot, and I started reading a little bit about him and seeing how he's playing with Nashville and where they have him in the lineup. It just seems like some uh, struggles are happening. I would tend to agree. It doesn't probably wouldn't make me feel real excited if I was a Nashville fan or <laughs> my first-line oh. center can't produce any points. That's a definitely a good one. Okay, sitting next to Cody Glass on the struggle bus this week is he's been here before. I think he bought a bus pass for this year. <laughs> it's Alex Newhook. Continues Troy to be a season of disappointment for him. He's pointless in his last seven games. Through seventy one games played, he has thirteen goals, fourteen assists for twenty seven points. He played exactly seventy one games last year, so it's kind of a good time to compare. Last year he had thirteen goals. 20 assists for 33 points. So he's even on last season for goals, a little bit down in assists. So taking a step backwards point-wise, I think what's more so disappointing than just the stats is, if you recall, after their cup run and losing some key players, like teams always do when they win to free agency, it was really expected for him to take a big step up and go from a bottom six role into a top six point producer. And a lot of people hobby-wise are really banking on that, right? There's a point, do you remember last summer where Newhook Young Guns were selling raw oh, yeah. on the $40, $50 range, yep. right? And it just has not happened for him. And it got to the point where he was on the fourth line, barely playing this year. Now, what's I think particularly disappointing about right now is uh, Arturi Lekkonen, I think, has an injury. So that kind of has given him the opportunity to get back up into a top six role, and it just hasn't worked out for, uh, I think he's currently been on the second line. If you do read articles with Troy, though, I, I did read some out of Colorado. It sounds like he's making incremental improvements or tiny improvements this year. It seems like that they're still invested in him as a player. He's still very young, 21 years old. And I think this is a good example, too, where before we decide who we should really get behind as far as young players, remember, very few end up being Austin Matthews, right? They all look good when the young guns, you know, we're going to see this again and with Series 2 coming out next week. But very, very few kind of make it to that upper level or that elite level. And one of the things that stood out to me is going back and checking out his pedigree. He had good stats before coming to the NHL, but he didn't play a lot of games. Mm-hmm. So in the NCAA, he, he had 46 games played and 26 goals, so that's pretty good. He only had 18 AHL games played with nine goals. That's pretty good. But when you're talking about 64 total games prior to the NHL, it's just not a huge sample size. So even though the stats are good, I think that if you're looking to spend big money on a player, that that maybe is a little a tiny red flag to say. Because like some of these guys that we see, like Suzuki is a great example. I was looking up his OHL. He played like 260 games in the OHL or something like that. Right. So I think you have a much better idea of what type of consistent point producer a player can be versus getting hot over a half a, se- you know, 
30, 40 game stretch. But yeah, thing too with Newhook, which kind of always worries me is, do you remember in the beginning of the season when Bednar was like, wasn't really happy with him and basically was benching him and said, he's not meeting our standard. I remember the quote, it was something about standards. And so he's probably playing a little bit with head coach trying to get something out of him. And this probably doesn't help, but I know Bednar's had some words with him. And they've actually said they've taken Newhook aside. They're watching video, trying to do all those things. Maybe he needs to go play something in the summer like the, was it the devil's guy? Just go shoot the puck more. When I hear not playing up to standards, that to me, well, I read between the lines, that means effort, right? That he's not skating hard enough or back checking or something like that. And especially when you're not scoring goals, you better be doing that as a young player. Yeah, yeah, you can't use that. Well, I'm still scoring. No, no, you're not. From a hockey card point of view, you can get his 2021 Young Gun raw in the 8 to 10 US dollar range. Last sale on his 2021 Young Gun PSA 10, pop 470 with a 60% gem rate, was 44 US dollars. Since January, trades bounced around anywhere from 30 on the low end to 50 on the high end. So it'll probably get cheaper again in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Basically about, I'm guessing you'll be able to get this card this summer for grading costs. And he is 21 years old. So if he things start to click a little bit, I don't know. Pretty cheap flyer can be had on New Hook. We'll roll into hobby news real quick. So on the injury side, Troy, uh, Logan Thompson got hurt again. That's not good. He was making his first start since missing 18 games with a lower body injury. Had to leave with six minutes remaining in that game after making 37 saves with more lower body injury issues. So my Logan Thompson Calder dream looks a dead on arrival at this point. Yeah, doesn't look, that doesn't look that doesn't look good now. It was a good run while it lasted. Yeah. Good thing they picked up Jonathan Quick, too. Boy, that was kind of a sneaky move by yeah. them. He seems to have a really big chip on his shoulder after yeah. all that went down with Kings yeah. and because he is not playing well. No, he's, a, he's angry. He's very angry. He has something to prove. I guess that's all you'd want when you get pick him up in this situation. Nothing like a goalie scoring, huh? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Looking at hockey cards, you can get a 2021 Thompson Young Gun Raw for about $8 right now. Again, might be a decent pickup if you think he'll be healthier next year, perform better. You know, quick is not a long-term solution there. So I would think Thompson is very, still very much in their future. His 2021 Young Gun PSA 10 popped 275 with a 39% gem rate. Is currently selling in the $50, $60 range. So again, pretty good price there. Okay, Troy, did you see the uh, Kent Johnson Michigan goal? I did see it. Against the Islanders I did see it. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> So he scored the goal this past Friday in their 5-4 win over the Islanders. Where does this one rank for you in like the Michigan goals you've seen as far as degree of d- difficulty? Or yeah, so I have to rem- I hope I'm remembering, remembering this right. So a lot of times you see Michigan goals, they might be kind of moving slower, sitting behind the net, and they lift it up and go around. This one, he was like skating full speed, I think, down almost the side, trying to go around the net, and did it all in one motion. So this one, I say, what is about a 9 or a 10 on the difficulty scale. He had... Just awesome skill and hands to put that puck up on his stick and put it in. Soroka knew it was coming, too. He tried to stop it even and couldn't quite do it. So that was kind of interesting factor. So, Troy, Ken Johnson is the first NHL player to score a Michigan goal that actually went to the University of Michigan. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a good fun fact. A little fun fact there. It was his 15th goal in the season for the 20-year-old Blue Jackets rookie forward. Overall, he has 37 points and 68 games played. I think he's one of those guys that, again, how excited to get a guy about who scores 15 goals. But there's a lot of to his game. He's got some personality, of course, some flair and flash to his game. So that's pretty cool. I actually looked up the history of the Michigan goal because I, I kind of remembered it, but very painful history for us, Troy, of course. Yep. It was 27 years ago now when Michigan player Mike Legg 
scored the lacrosse style goal against our Golden Gophers to tie the game, the their NCAA regional game at two two. Michigan went on to win the game and then the national championship that year. So the rest is kind of history there. And so kind of, you know, 27 years now, you, you, it seems like more of a recent phenomenon than that. Like it just in the last couple of years, it's really picked up in popularity again. You also have to wonder too, if Johnson's trying to give Trevor Zegers a run for his money as the king of the Michigan goal. <laughs> a few months ago, you guys might remember that Johnson scored a Michigan for team Canada against Chechia in the world junior championships. And here's kind of another Michigan fun fact. Only Zegras and Andreas Svechnikov have scored on the Michigan goal at least two times in one NHL game. Not a lot of Michigan goals scored to to this point. All right, Troy, I'm curious about the goalie perspective on this one. What do you think is going through Sorokin's mind when this happens? Is he pissed? Is he embarrassed? I don't know. What do you think? So from a goalie's perspective, I can say you do, there's no need to be embarrassed. You can be mad. I would never be embarrassed because if a player does this shot well enough, it is really hard to stop. So let's look at the Kent Johnson one. Say he's coming in hard, going across behind the net. As a goalie, you're on that post. You're going to start moving across the net, but you got to keep your eye on him and the puck to make sure he doesn't stop and come back. Once you realize what's going on, you're basically going to push as hard as you can. You're going to go into what they call an RVH. So his far pad is going to slam against that far post on the ice, basically. And then his body's going to lean up against the post. And then the last thing that's going to come is your head is going to basically seal off that top corner. But if you have a player that can do it fast enough, they're going to come around and hit that hole, which you saw Johnson do right before he scored. And so it's a hard shot to defend. So I don't think you have to be embarrassed about it or anything. You'd be mad. But if a person does it right, it's really hard to save. Where do you rate like a Michigan type shot in the degree of difficulty of the, all the shots to save that a goalie has to face? Is it one of the oh, tougher it, ones? I don't know. It's, it, it's one of the tougher ones for sure. Cause you don't see them that often. It's like, you don't, I, mean, I bet they do now probably start, they're going to have to start practicing these, but it's like, I doubt they <laughs> practice these all the time, but the more they happen, the more they occur. I think the hardest one to save was the one, was it where Zegers? I can't remember passed it from behind the net over the basically over the crossbar yeah. and it flew down and someone one timed it in like come on but yeah it's it's up there for tough shots but i guess i was kind of asking about sorokin because to me it's a little bit like getting posterized in an nba game right where a player has an awesome dunk and whoever he dunks it on mm-hmm. kind of has to live with that infamy and so if you're the goalie who's always in the frame when looking at the sweet goal it might be uh, a little embarrassing from yeah. that perspective but again sorokin's one of the best goalies in the league so can't well, it's funny too because it's there. like how many goal, how many shots has he saved against him, <laughs> and then the one goal that goes in—that's the one where you remember. Yep. But I get it; it was, it was a sweet goal. Ken Johnson is a 2022 UD one young gun. Current value for Raws in the ten to eleven dollar range, pretty cheap. It's about the same or flat over the last month too. Last sale on his young gun PSA ten pop seventy four with a twenty six percent gem rate. Troy twenty six. Oh. 49 US dollars on March 15th. I don't think you'll get it that cheap now. I'm pretty sure after that goal, it's going to increase some interest again. More typically, it's sold in the 70 to $80 US range. And again, with a 26% gem rate, it might be one to pick up if you're a Ken Johnson fan. I would call that an investable young gun if you believe in the player. Last note in hobby news here. Sidney Crosby, Troy, ever heard of him? I have heard of him. Pretty good. He uh, went to high school about 30 minutes south of us here at Shattuck St. Mary's. Is only Do we really call that away. high school? <laughs> is that really high school? <laughs> hockey factory. If you watch, hockey academy. Been, it's, 
Well, it's funny how many like recent interviews have kind of come out with former players and kind of asking about the academic standards at Shattuck. And they're like, yeah, we didn't go to class. We just played hockey. Oh, jeez. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, Crosby is only six points away from 1,500 points in his career. He has 548 goals and 946 assists for 1,494 points in 1,180 games played. So over his career, he's a .46 goals per game scorer and has averaged 1.27 points per game. So if when, I mean, it's going to be when. Yeah. He reaches the 1,500-point milestone. He'll be the 15th player to cross that threshold. At 1,494 points, Crosby has the most try of any active player. The next high for an active player is Ovechkin, who's 13 points behind Crosby with 1,481. So Ovi will be Soon. Yeah, that just answered our Yager thing. So he's not that close to Yager's 1,700, whatever. Now, I thought this was kind of interesting, and I actually wrote down a piece of paper so you can cheat on the oh. my piece of paper on the okay. show notes. Only two defensemen, Troy, in NHL history have scored more than 1,500 points. Any idea who they are? I know one, Ray Bork. And, That's one. Oh, boy. Let me think. Okay, let's let's work let's work through this. If it was... I want, I want, I'm stepping away, so I got my hands crossed so you can see me. I'm not looking it up. Lidstrom, maybe, but I don't remember him having that many points when I did his number thing. Oh, ah, I, I bet I got it. I got it. I want to take a good guess. Just because okay. it was the 80s and he played for the Oilers. Coffee. You got it. Good That's job. it? <laughs> yep. I, I figured once I remembered that, I was like, he had to get a ton of points just passing the puck to Gretzky or being the second assist on Gretzky plays. Coffee had 1,531 points in his career. Oh, geez. So it was like barely over 1,500. Bork had 1,579. So Yeah, Bork I knew for them. sure because I don't know why I knew that, but I remember – I think it because it surprised me. I mean, I knew Bork played forever. I just didn't realize he had that many points. So that kind of stuck in my head. At 35 years old, Crosby has scored – Oh, so, okay. There's no shortage of like mind blowing Wayne Gretzky sort of factoids. Yeah. But they think of this. At thirty five years old, Crosby has scored just about half the points Gretzky scored. Yeah. So Gretzky had two thousand eight hundred and fifty seven, if you recall. Uh different era, of course, but it's just incredible how many points Gretzky put up. From a hockey card's perspective, Gretzky is a two thousand five young gun his PSA ten has popped nine forty six. Crosby sold for three thousand Crosby. Crosby's yep. two thousand five young gun, PSA ten. Top 946, last sold for $3,350. It's up about 8% in the past three months. Okay, I lied. There's two more things in hockey news. I was going to say it, but I thought you maybe I thought you made an executive decision to cut these two. I didn't want to no, like jump no, in, but I lied. All right. Okay, so, so the NHL launched, I think a day or so, their Stanley Cup playoffs ad campaigns, and they're going with the Chaos Begins. That's their slogan. Chaos, be- the Chaos Begins. You like that, Trey? I like it. Watch NHL playoffs. I already said, if you want to get someone into hockey, don't show them a regular season game. Wait till the playoffs start. Show them a game seven. Yeah. It is chaos. It's <laughs> they're, they're crazy. So you think that's a good descriptive word? I think it's fine. Chaos? Okay. I, I have a suggestion, if you're okay with that. Go for it. What if they did a message like, we'll actually put these games on TV? <laughs> what about, we'll better? actually put them on TV that you'll see? Yeah, that, that, that people can actually watch from there. In Canada, they'll be able to see all the games. Here will be... TNT, uh, ESPN, and then Channel 5, or sorry, Channel 5, ABC, they'll show, probably on the weekends, they'll show games. Do you think ESPN is going to put playoff games behind the plus paywall? They might. I mean, because that first round when you have a bunch of games going on, I bet they will. 
some uh, Joe Biden news and hobby news, Troy. You ever think you'd see the day when we're talking about? I was gonna say, is that the first? This might be the first time Joe Biden. We had we had Obama on Marshawn's little little ball of hate quote, but this might be the first time we've had Biden. Joe Biden, of course, is the president of the United States of America, and apparently, old Joe Troy is not a Maple Leafs fan. Could we have some Bieber Ooh. versus Biden beef headed our way? Do you think Biden even knows who Bieber is? I don't know if Biden knows what's going on half the time. So, so in, an, in an address to the Canadian Parliament. Biden quipped that he didn't like the Maple Leafs because they beat the Flyers in January and his wife, Jill, is really Wow, that's kind of a grudge. If beating the Flyers is criteria for not liking any team, there'd be no fans in the NHL, right? (laughs) Let's be honest here. Sorry, IFC and Philadelphia Flyagram and all of our Philly fans and listeners, but that's a pretty weak argument for not liking the Maple Leafs. He tried. He tried. He tried to say something funny. It didn't work. All right, so that is hobby news. Okay, now we're going to roll into a conversation that I had a little bit ago that you had to miss, unfortunately. So you're a little in the dark. I filled you in as best I could. But a few days ago now, Upper Deck announced some really big changes coming to Flair flagship products, starting with the 2023-24 Series 1. And who better to speak with than Billy Celio to get kind of the scoop? on those changes and what we can expect as collectors. So we're going to go ahead and roll that conversation now. Well, we uh, had some big news come out of Upper Deck in the past few days. So we sent out the, do we call it the Billy signal at this point? Kind of a little play on the bat signal there, Billy, or or what? (laughs) How do we do that in the future? Uh, No, all of a sudden my, uh, my social media just blows up from, uh, from the gong show. And I I know I got to answer questions. Well, it's better than us banging on your bedroom window in the middle of the night asking you to come on the podcast. But there was some really big news, of course, that you guys are making some big changes to your flagship products. So what are how are we officially calling this? Is it a we blowing it up? I'm guessing that's not the terminology you're using. Refresh, no, is that is that the I, I wouldn't even call it that. They're just uh we we wanted to make some changes on feedback that we've heard. And we also wanted to do it at uh, without having to change any price points. And when I say price points, I don't necessarily mean like packs, but more at the larger level of the box and the case price points. We had to make some changes. We had to cut some stuff, add some stuff. And uh, I think I think this is going to be one of the most appealing Series 1 and Series 2 in the 22-23 uh, year then, that we've had in quite some time. Okay, that's what I love about having you on is we kind of get right to it. And so let's just stick on the price point for a minute. As we know, you guys don't control the ultimate price. You build the product, it comes at a cost, and you sell it to your through your distributors or through the card shops, and they ultimately decide the price. So I know you can't tell us what the end price is going to be. But from a cost perspective, it sounds like you guys were able to make these changes, complete this refresh, while keeping the costs real similar or if not exactly close to what it was before. So that in theory, um, that in of itself wouldn't justify a big price increase to the box or case price. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. So basically we started off, I built this set a little bit ago. We started off prices of stuff is going up. Price of materials is going up. Price of foil is going up price of autographs price of memorabilia price like just prices in general of producing cards are going up we've seen a low and steady increase 
in the prices of our flagship the past few years. And we wanted to do something this year that could kind of put a stall on on this price increase. Now, we can't control what rookies are going to be in specific sets and if the popularity of it and the supply and demand, if people really want, you know, this rookie card, you know, obviously you know, the prices of boxes might go up because of, of the rookie class. And that, that goes with every single year of hockey. From a standpoint of wanting to build the set, we built it initially like it was built year after year after year. And it was just coming back to us and it, it was costing a lot more than it usually costs. Can't go into specifics or numbers or stuff like that. So sure. we kind of brainstorm of what could we do to give the consumer basically everything they got before and keep everything where it's at. One thing that you'll see when you go to card shows and you go to breakers and stuff like that is you just, you see a lot of base cards just being left to the side. It's unfortunate because I grew up collecting those old baseball card sets where it basically was all base cards and you want to build a complete set and it's fun for young and old. But a lot of times you see people just wanting the hits. So we didn't eliminate base cards. But what we decided to do was maybe instead of if we built a pack that had six base cards instead of eight base cards and we still had the same number of packs, I don't think that's the answer. I was like, well, what if we kind of combine the packs and make a 12 pack box? And it was myself and, and a couple other people. But, you know, we're like, what if we combined it and make it similar to what we did with Opeachy and make it a 12 pack box where we basically just smush the content of two packs of cards, put it into one pack of cards, but in the process, maybe cut out a few base cards, but in return, add another insert card or AKA hit. So now that two packs has become one pack. There's, I think, four or five less. There's 12 cards in a pack, as opposed to 16 cards that you would get before. There are three insert cards as opposed to two that you would get for the the price of two packs, but there's four less base cards as opposed to would get in in the previous packs. You get like 14 base cards and one hit card. Now you're getting, I'm sorry, now you're getting nine base cards and three hits. So I know that you had told us before that like with series one this past fall, that part of the idea of like a case and how you guys configure the set and pack them out in the case is that if you buy a case, you can generally would be able to collect the base set. Is that no longer going to be the case then going forward where you'll have typically all the base cards within a case, given that there's going to be less oh, you're gonna, per box? You're going to get plenty of base cards in the case. If you're referring to the young guns, which is the big question mark with everybody, because obviously a lot of people buy series one and series two and extend for young guns. Instead of the young guns coming one every four packs, they're going to come one every two packs. So if you buy a 12-pack box, you're still going to get six young guns. You're still going to get four canvas cards. You're still going to get a couple profile cards, a couple honor roll cards. The ratios just kind of win in half. So you still get the same content. In fact, you go from getting 24 insert cards to 36 insert cards. So guess what I got to do? I got to create more insert cards, which was lots of fun and bring back some old insert cards. From the standpoint of content, you're really just losing basic base cards. There are people that are figuring out, well, 
now it costs, you know, each card is 17 cents a, a card instead or whatever, instead of, you know, 16 cents a card. Well, I know a specific Instagram page that opens up packs and boxes of cards and will show the value of a pack in a card, uh, uh, the value of the box when they open up the cards. And I have yet to see them add the price of every single base card for each pack. All they do is add the price of the insert cards in there. I don't know who I could be thinking of. Um, I don't but, know either, but it sounds like an amazing Instagram page. And I'm, I would I, probably want to subscribe to it and follow it. I, yes, exactly. Hit that, hit that like button. Never add the value of the base cards. And so it's unfortunate and there is, there is value to it. But, you know, if you're going to cut anything, um, that was pretty much where to go. And then the other thing, and that's also big. So think about it. You go from uh, 16 cards to 14 cards. So that's like paper-wise, that's like 20% right there that you're saving. So that helps. And then the other thing is what people don't understand is this foil wrap, the the overwrap uh, on the cards, the wrappers, that costs money too. And those prices have been going up. So now we're using less uh, foil wrap. I mean, the packs are a little thicker and everything, but still, um, we're using less foil wrap, and that also is, is saving money. So what has that done? That's allowed us to save some of the money back on, on some of the margin, but it's also been able to provide myself as the builder to maybe create more inserts and more numbered cards and stuff like that to add content to the set that's that's the cool thing is there's so much more content in in series one next year than there has been in years past and that that's yeah. what i'm also really excited about and i know you're gonna talk about a specific piece of content that uh that we added but yeah. uh yeah we've been able to create a product that is basically the same minus some base cards and add more content to it and i don't see too many other people doing that well, it sounds like an exercise in optimization, optimization to me, where you're trying to focus your costs and spend to what collectors seem to be valuing the most, rather than packs like the wrapper, the physical foil pack that it comes into, into better content. So I, I can definitely get on board with that. I do want to go back a little bit and ask a very specific pricing question, just because I think the details matter on this, and I think getting specific is going to help. A lot of people understand. So one of the things that I've heard quite a bit is, oh, this was uh, this is Upper Deck's way to justify $300 a box, right, <laughs> by doing this. And I know that you've already spoken to it, but I just want to tackle this directly because it has come up so much. The equation that we have without giving specific price points is previous price point is A. New price point is basically A times 2. So A times 2 equals B. And there were previous box was A times 24. New box is B times 12. That's the, the most basic way I can put it. I, there's As for price rate uh, increase, look, I'm telling you, we did all this stuff so we don't have a price increase. Yeah. Again, I cannot control the secondary market and what people decide to sell stuff at because of big time rookies in a specific set. Speaking of that, is there any relation to the timing in this to Connor Bedard at all? Or was this planned well before that was really big on everyone's radar? Um, this was planned specifically because we needed to be able to control 
the price on these boxes. I, I, I so happens that, you know, we have a generational type rookie coming out this year. Do we want as much content with Bedard as we can? Of course, but we're not putting out more content. We're just reconfiguring a box. <laughs> it's pretty much, we're not reconfiguring the cases either. The cases will still have 12 boxes in them. We're just reconfiguring how you're going to get your regular box of cards. Now, I, I've talked to plenty of shops about this. Sorry to tell you this. You guys did not get the, the first word uh, from me on, on this subject. Talked to plenty of shops already about this. What? Well, it's, it's been a great having you on, Billy. Uh, we'll <laughs> see, see you next time. What, what it has done. And yes, we do understand that there are moms and dads that bring their kids, young kids, into a shop and will say, here's... 10 bucks for Jane and here's 10 bucks for Jack and go buy yourself a pack of Upper Deck Series 1. And with the price increase of, a, you know, when I say price increase, I'm referring to a pack now costing twice as much. Maybe now they have to kind of say, okay, well, here's, you know, a little bit more money so you can get one pack. They're getting more cards, but there are those consumers. But in all honesty, I see a lot of people that buy Series 1 at the box level or in series two at the box level and at the case level. I don't think it's unrealistic at the price point it, it'll be at for people to still buy a pack of series one. I see our competitors who have prices for that many cards to be much higher than what we're asking or what the, what the, the vendors are asking. So that is one little thing that, you know, kind of sucks about it is it, it might take a little bit more to buy Jane and Jack, a, a pack of cards if they just go into the card shop themselves. But from the mass consumer, we see this really being bought at the box and case level. One kind of base thought that I have, too, is Troy and I participate a little bit in breaks, but we watch a lot of them. And it seems like a trend in breaking has been because the sorting can just get crazy if you do a lot of breaks per night is to really when people buy spots that they'll say no base. One of the things I've wondered is these breakers that open box after box after box, day after day, don't send out any of the base. What's happening to all this stuff anyway? Is it getting, getting just trashed or, but it's like, you can imagine the accumulation of base that is happening. And given that breaking is becoming a bigger part of the hobby, it seems like as time goes on, that a lot of this base probably isn't hitting the hands of collectors anyway. I think our shops do a great job and they understand the importance of getting youth involved in collecting. I know a number of our shops that do breaks, they give it away. We have a QA case that comes in that I'll break and you know we obviously have all the base lying around. We have, uh, I think Chris Carlin kind of started it when he was with us, Cards for Kids. We'll give away the cards and it goes to kids. And another thing that we do is we package stuff for our like Halloween giveaways that we give to the police stations that they can hand out little packs of cards on Halloween. So, you know, we find usages for those for those base cards to really to try to grow the hobby. And I know a lot of other people do that, too, including the shops. I know when we go to the expo and a lot of people will just leave the cards, they will literally say, just give this to a kid or something. And it's so funny. We'll be sitting there and you see a kid and like, like you like hockey cards? Sure. And we just give them a stack of cards because there's a lot of people that do give away the base cards. As I said, that's how I started collecting. So I do understand the importance of base cards. We did not want to remove base cards completely. There are ways to, if, if you're just looking for the hits, to give those away. And 
Funny you mentioned breakers, and I don't know if this was going to be a future question, and I apologize if I jumped the gun. I do hear the the comments that, oh, they're only doing this for the breakers, which is absolutely crazy because, yes, we're helping their nice, delicate hands from having to rip more packs of cards. But with three inserts, guess what? They have more sorting to do now. They have more things that they have to give away, like more stuff to mail out. This actually, it, it quickens the break from a standpoint of what you watch on YouTube or on uh, whatnot or breakers or whatever, but it actually increases the amount of work that these guys have to do when it comes to mailing out cards. So to say that we're doing this specifically for breakers is really not the the correct point. Especially over the last year, one observation that Troy and I have definitely had is Upper Deck 2, probably more so than Tops or Panini, you guys are really, really focused on your diamond dealers and at the LCS level, right? And that seems to me, at least, where sort of all these sort of kind of strategic conversations really begin is what's going to be best for the LCS. And then we'll worry about the trickle down effect there. So that doesn't surprise me that you wouldn't have done this solely with the breaker in mind. What a lot of people don't understand or know is our our president, Jason Mashra, actually used to own a card shop. So Upper Deck as a whole does whatever they can to help the card shops out or, or make it make things go well for the card shops. And it, it, a lot of that has to do with our Diamond Dealer program. I, I can't go into detail about like what it takes to become a Diamond Dealer and all that stuff. That's not, that's not my job. That's not my title. That's, I, I have no say in the matter. I build, I build sets. We have whole different departments that work on that. But we do our best to take care of the shops as much as we can. Okay, so before we talk about what's new... I want to try to cover what's going to be taken away or what you guys are cutting from this set. I didn't see, we wouldn't see that in your blog, but what are the big things that you're removing other than the few base cards? Are there any key inserts that are leaving or parallels that are leaving? When you have to add an extra insert per box, sometimes you don't get rid of much. We still have the hobby boxes. We'll still have the clear cut cards. One thing I can say is uh, the French's the French parallels are gone? They were fun. They did their service, but I think I think we did something a little more exciting. I know they were an Easter egg, so they technically weren't on the checklist. But I will say that the clear cut exclusives aren't there anymore. So anyone that's sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh, they're pumping a million more parallels, a million more parallels," yes, there are a few more parallels of the cards, but we also got rid of a couple parallels. So I think in total. There's two new parallels to the base set in Young Guns. It's not like we we went gung-ho and crazy. There are other numbered inserts that we that we put in. Oh, you asked what's going away. Yeah, there's there's there, we we really we kept a, a number of the same things and and just sw- I mean, obviously like the basic some of the basic inserts uh that were there last year aren't there like maybe like the center of attention or or something yeah. like that. You know, Those we usually typical tr- refreshes you do anyway. Yeah. We try to uh, throw some new inserts in every now and then. So some of that stuff's gone, but a lot of the core is will still be there. So clear cut and clear cut young guns will still be there. No yep. French base or young guns and no clear cut exclusive young guns or yep. base. Okay. They are gone. Another quick big picture question that probably should have mentioned a minute ago is is this the biggest sort of refresh in flagship in a while? Or, or how would you term sort of the scope and size of the... Because it seems like it's been pretty consistent for a number of years now. 
Yeah, I've been over. I've been at Upper Deck for a little over over nine years, and it's been the same every single year. So biggest ref- refresh in at least nine nine and a half years. Of yes, we've added inserts here and there, but this is this is uh, you know a restructure. Um, yeah. It's like a major overhaul, but it's definitely a restructure. Did you feel? In, and I know that you have been really clear about wanting to control costs, but just from a set builder and designer perspective, did you feel that it really needed kind of a refresh and some new energy into it too? And that it's, you know, to keep collectors motivated and invested. Again, I think, I think series one and series two, a lot of it just has to do with young guns and designs. And so what I wanted to do with this one is, is, you know, I think last year, I think improved the inserts, improved, you know, some of the stuff that we've done with the set. And I think this is just kind of a continuation. There was more numbered cards in last year's series one than there has been in the past. Um, with I mean, obviously you have your high gloss and your exclusives, but I just meant I just mean like different parallels of inserts and whatnot. And you'll find more of that or stuff like population count, which is one of my favorite inserts. Um, you know, it looks like a it kind of looks like a slab card. It, it, it's kind of a play off of population count of some sort of graded card. It's a clever way of numbering cards without numbering cards. There are only a thousand copies of the population count thousands, but we don't necessarily have to pay for all the numbering. It's right there on the card. I think last year was the start of something increasing or kind of stepping our game up a little bit. And I think this next year is going to be even more. Okay, let's get into the new stuff because I think there's a ton of interest around that. So there's four base set parallel inserts that also apply to the young guns as well. Outburst Silver, let's start there. So what what kind of card will that be? Is that like a foil card? or? So um, we have a, a new company that we're working with that creates some unbelievable looking pattern foil boards. What you see on the solicitation that's been going around is... That's that, that is a great example of a digital picture of a card not doing justice to the card. And I think even the digital version of it still looks pretty darn good. It's an amazing kind of what we do is we, we knocked out the background of of the card to kind of make it a little bit different. It, 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 some people call it a variation, you know, uh, but most consumers will call it a parallel. So we've knocked out the background and it just has this unbelievable pattern. That just basically just shoots out, thus the word outburst, from behind the player. Those are pretty much replacing the French parallels. You know, I think the French parallels were cool. They We did them for about three years. But we wanted to make the, a, a parallel that looked even better. So, And I think we've done that. Plus, sometimes you need a mi- magnifying glass to, to find <laughs> where it said French variant on, on the card. So these are going to be a lot more obvious <laughs> than, the, uh, than the French parallels. And then, uh, you know, what better way to kind of take advantage of that technology is to make a couple parallels of those. And I'll, I'll let you ask the question before I just jump into it. No, that's all right. That's all right. Well, one quick additional question on the Alper Silver, and you kind of compared it to French. Will it have relatively the same pack odds then as a French variation, like one per box? I believe, I believe it says in the solicitation that they're one per box. So they, they're literally kind of taking the place of the French variant. So then the Deluxe is a parallel of that then, number to 250, oh. is that correct? So the Deluxe is, you know, we hear talk about people just not getting enough numbered cards. So we added a Deluxe parallel, which will be the same visual 
as the exclusives and the high gloss, and these will be numbered to 250. So exclusives and high gloss are stained. Yes. Oh, 100%. Those are, those are the big rookie cards. So, so essentially you'll have now three numbered, you'll have to 250, which will be deluxe and then to 100 exclusives and then out of 10 high glass, correct? Of the original design of the base card and the young gun, those will be your three numbered versions. So then the outburst red out of 25 is the parallel to the outburst silver that you were just talking about. Correct. And then, then there's a gold 101 as well. Now, in the case of young guns, I know you said you're removing the background, you're using this foil technology, but they'll still be labeled the cards young guns, correct? Correct. I'm first in shock that you just like mumbled the one or one thing when no, we're show- spend a lot of time on that because I have a big bone to pick with you. Oh, I was just like, why did he go so fast? Like he's been asking me about one on one young guns forever. And uh, I could never answer him, even though I've known for quite some time we, we planned on doing this. What was what was the original question? I'm sorry. Just that the outburst red is a parallel of the silver out of 25. Yes. And then but but it. But all these outburst cards have the Young Guns branding yeah. on them. The only thing that's taken out, if you look at the design, it'll have all the callouts that are on the regular design. It'll just have the background is taken out, and it's a full bleed image. Uh, we did that on purpose for this design. It'll burst off off the card, and that'll be tinted red on the reds, obviously, and tinted gold on the gold parallels. So I think, if my memory serves correct, Probably in October, early, well, it would have been in early November, you might have been on talking about Series 1, and you had mentioned that there's something big coming to Young Guns, and we asked you, if is, is it going to be a one-on-one? And I, if I, I, I think you said no, which um, I is hurtful. I would, I would love to go back. I don't believe I said anything about anything big coming to Young Guns. I, I might have said that there's some there's uh, potential changes or something. I don't even think I said that because I've been I've been told to be mum. I think you were constantly asking, is there is there anything going on? And I had to play, you know, I had to be quiet about it. So I think that's exactly how it went. I don't recall. Okay, I, I want to put a challenge out to Gangsha listeners to go find the clip. And I actually, now that we're talking about it, I do remember a little bit more of the context. We had asked you in a part of a conversation about a recent sale, I think it was the highest sale ever for a Young Guns, was a McDavid black label that went for something like 50 grand. And we had asked you, when do you think we'll see a $100,000 Young Gun? And then you had said something like, oh, just wait, there's something, there's something coming. And at that point, I think we, I think we've pointedly asked you a couple, it's just, it's not bad. It's just, my feelings are hurt. Okay, I'm just gonna come out and say it. Well, I would I would say that even the high gloss Bedard, with the way that one of ones are going right now, and like yeah. golds and stuff, in, in competitors, in competitors, that's kind of where I was going with it. Whether it was high gloss or whether it's a one of one, I'm seeing Mac Jones cards selling one of one Mac Jones cards selling for a ridiculous amount of money, even though there's Patrick Mahomes cards that might be selling for less, even though he's already won a couple Super Bowls. Or had won the Super Bowl. This is a you know a year ago or whatever. Not since the most recent Super Bowl. So when that's being asked of me, I'm seeing a player like McDavid, who you could consider like a Patrick Mahomes, and that new a new rookie that has barely even proved himself and uh, selling for more than what Mahomes is selling for. 
So that's where I was referring to, you probably see something sell for even higher. I believe that a high gloss would still sell potentially even higher if it was a 10, if it was a PSA 10. But I also knew there was going to be a one-on-one. So maybe in the back of my head, I was thinking of that one also. So I'm assuming that Bedard, this one-on-one Bedard chase is going to be nutty. How do you, and this is just, I'm just asking this for my own personal curiosity, because I I geek out about this kind of stuff. How do you make sure that that gets packed in a way that's fair, right? Like where everyone in the world has an equal opportunity to hit that card. I'm just curious as to what measures it would take to kind of make sure that that happens. So there's, there's a blending that goes on when we have hobby and EPAC and each card is specifically put into a blend. So one of ones will specifically be put into one side or the other side of, of the set. So that's how you kind of can determine where it goes, where it goes in the blend, where it goes in the feeder, where it goes in the pack, where it goes in the box, where it goes in the case, where the case, what palette, what that's not determined by us. Of, of, of that, yeah. We get vendor all the cards and then they put the stuff in the machines and it's just packed out accordingly. So there's no, there's no determining what shop or what, uh, breaker or what whatever is going to get this card but you're saying though just so i understand that you will make a determination if it would go to epac or to hobby or you could make that determination you could yeah so this will start with series one next year and then i'm assuming that we can expect series two and extended next year to follow the same format is that the idea anyways yeah i just uh i just finished building series two for next year and um it is under the same under the same configuration when are we going to be able to see kind of all of these designs? I know you had a couple on your uh, solicitation sheet. Will it be a little bit later this summer when kind of the previews come out or is what you're going to show kind of available right now? I mean, our solicitations are solicitation in all honesty. I know you guys are all dying to see all the different portrait cards that we made of all the players because they are absolutely amazing. Um, you got a, a quick little taste of, of King McDavid there, but uh, basically we we took we gave the royal treatment to thirty other or thirty players in total for series one, and it's one of the most fun inserts. That uh, as I said, I always try to make the portrait cards a little a little different. Anyone that takes them too seriously, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but there's got to be some. This is this is a uh, a set that's supposed to uh, everyone's supposed to enjoy. And so if you are, if you take it too seriously, then, uh, you know, have a little fun with it. As for like some of the other inserts, it's probably going to be what we normally do. And that's, you know, you you got your solicitation. I'm going to sit there multiple times and tell people this card looks really cool. This card looks really cool. But for the most part, you're going to see it, see designs two weeks before uh, release when we release the checklist and then the product will come out. What was your favorite new insert that you designed for this? New insert? Oh. Obviously, I, I like the outbursts. Um, I think those are gonna, those are going to be really cool. There's a, <laughs> there's a couple of Easter eggs that I can't talk about. Our, our okay. favorite, but unfortunately, okay. I can't say anything to them. So one of the most fun ones was seriously the portraits. Our artists makes you know we paid for original art. There's I don't know if you'll notice or not, but these last number of sets 
we we've added a lot more original art than you're used to seeing in in hockey products and we have found that art seems to be kind of a big deal with card products nowadays kind of taking bringing in another demographic to card collectors so we didn't want to do it the same way everybody else has done it um you saw our 16 cards in in allure you know that's all original art that we had done it wasn't like some sort of technology where you just give them a picture and that pops out we have an artist that specifically makes those type of cards for us and those have done those have been a big hit yeah uh, i'm happy about those our portrait cards again just having a little bit of fun we we did our saved by the bell we did our you know stepbrother looking picture the wild west ones didn't really come out like they were supposed to but that just is unfortunate but i think these are you've seen those pictures with the dog heads on top of the uh paintings that's (laughs) <laughs> that's the inspiration. If you guys want to know where you get inspiration from sometimes. And I had a, one of my, one of my best friends, his wife for Christmas, like sent in the photo of his head and then they, they made the painting of him as like a Royal person. And so I saw that and I'm like, this would be hysterical for a card. And then I was trying to find examples for our design team. And I found the dog's heads on the people. And so it, it's the artist did an amazing job. There's there's some more artwork that's that's being done that might be some Easter eggs that uh, you guys will find. But I just like being able to incorporate some original artwork. Having worked on some Marvel sets in the past few years mm-hmm. now too, I think that's benefited me as a set builder to kind of look at some other options for different kinds of inserts. One of the things I really appreciate about the one portrait example with King McDavid here is how just, and it kind of fits his normal facial expression, but it's very in in line with what you'd expect from a painting of a king or royal family member from 300 or 400 years ago, right? Just sort of that deadpan sort of I will, <laughs> I will expressionless say- face. I will say, so when we got, when we did the artwork, I'm getting these things back and I gave specific direction. I said, McDavid is king. I go, there will be only one king. McDavid is king. All the other ones, it's different, different poses, different background. It's like, so don't think that all of them are going to be sitting on, on a, uh, a throne. It's, it, McDavid's, McDavid's the only one on the throne. All the other ones have their own unique been to them. And what's really cool is our artists even kind of, worked in like team logos or team team stuff with the cards so you'll you kind of have to find some of the easter eggs in in the images unfortunately you won't be able to see all those until it's released sometime in october or november hopefully one thing i did want to mention too and i think we talked about this last time you were on but it's worth as we're kind of digging through what geez 2023 24 series one will look like is the success of population count and you guys are really kind of amping that up even more this year, going to more of an acetate type card versus a pure cardboard card, right? Yeah, not going to lie. They probably should have been acetate last year. As I said, there there were things that got with the constant prices. That was that was one of those that we kind of made as a regular card and added the the light FX to it. And I mean, still made it look nice, but let's be honest, if you get a slab card, it's plastic. So you should have some sort of like PETG card that kind of represents this. So that's what we did this year. I think those cards will step it up a little bit too. I think they'll look nicer when you have stuff on PETG. Also, those cards tend to, (laughs) speaking, they tend to grade better. So the population count of the population counts might go up. (laughs) 
Okay, so is there anything before we kind of close out the refresh coming to the next Series 1 next fall? Because I do have some just general questions that I would love to run by you if you have a few minutes, but want to make sure we've covered all of our bases here. Is there anything else I want to talk about about it? Yeah, yeah, as far as or that would be noteworthy or that collectors should know about. Like I said, I, I just think there's a lot more content. I think there's a lot more chase uh, elements to Series 1 for uh, 23-24. I think you also still have Series 2 and Extended coming for this year. So everyone that's freaking out about Series 1, guys, there's there's still some more fun to be had before you even have to worry about it. So let it sink in, let it marinate. But there's still a lot of hockey cards to be had before we even have to worry about it. Did you work on Series 2 this year or was that somebody else? I worked, I worked on I worked on series two also. So you kind of stole your own thunder a little bit. That, that's a, the first reaction Troy and I had was the series two you ch- checklist comes out, and then the next day you drop this uh, bomb on series one next year. So what are you doing? Look, we're trying to catch up. You know, yeah. we we said it. We're trying to catch up. We've had I can't recall many times where we've released multiple products on the same day. You know, we had SP Legends and Allure come out on the same mm-hmm. day. Um, or I'm sorry, SP Signature Legend. We're just trying to catch up. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out. Product-wise, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out information-wise just because this is the normal time that we would solicit something like this. Or it might be a little bit earlier because I think we wanted to give ourselves an opportunity to explain to people that might not have, might not understand it initially of what we're doing configuration. So we wanted to give ourselves a little bit more time so people just aren't freaking out, which was the initial reaction. And a lot of people trolling and making comments that might not necessarily have all the facts. So that's kind of why we're we're doing a little press tour here of helping people understand what really is happening with Series 1. Well, people fear change. We know that's pretty consistent across all people. So I'm not surprised that there's a number of people that maybe are thinking the worst in this situation rather than seeing sometimes the opportunity that comes with change too. Okay. So I do have some series two questions. want to talk about the young guns checklist really quick. Troy and I, and we don't know anything. So maybe this is never a consideration at all. Have been wondering for the last couple of months, given the age of Andrea Kuzmenko, that he's 27 and a rookie, a little bit on the older side there was there ever any consideration to not giving him a young guns because now you could have made it like a youngish guns i thought that would have been kind of fun look uh, no that we we had intended him to be a young gun the whole time he's you know it's his first year and it's it's you know is it gonna hurt it's adding value to the set so uh uh, we're, we're fine with our decision to have him as a young gun do you know fun fact that a kind of close, somewhat distant, but not super crazy cousin of mine, a guy named Connie Madigan, is the oldest rookie in NHL history. I did not. 38 years old. He made his debut for the St. Louis Blues. Does that include all like backup goalies and stuff too? Like, or the emergency goalies? Wasn't like one of the emergency goalies like 40 years old or something? I don't mean to crush your cousin's dreams, but. No, no, this is like a newspaper article. So you can search up Connie Madigan, C-O-N-N-I-E, and you can read all about it. So this is just me. Uh, I thought one of the one of the uh, emergency goalies that played was like close to forty years old. So that's why I'm asking if that if he broke a record doing that. Also, yeah, I'm not sure, 
But I know that according to all the newspaper clippings and all that, that we have, that that's the case. So I just thought that's kind of funny tie into Kuzmenko. The, the one insert that I'm kind of interested in is the highlighters one. And I, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this is one that is this one that you kind of have to see in person to it's, really get it. If you haven't seen tinted PETG, then yes, you need to you need to see it in person. But we again, we wanted some some rare hits. You know, each year there's highlights that happen through the season, and sometimes if you put those highlight cards as just regular basic inserts, they they don't really have any value. And there's there's been some legendary highlights throughout each year, and so I decided let's let's make a rare highlight card. Let's put it on and. Let's put it on PETG because we wanted to make sure people get PETG hits in the set. And I go, and let's kind of make it the colors of highlighters because it's like highlight, highlighters. So if you notice, all the colors are like, if you buy a, a pack of very colored highlighters, all the colors that you see in the in the highlighter insert are colors of highlighters. So like the, the yellow, it's not going to be like a, a rich gold. It's going to be bright yellow. The the green is not going to be like a forest green. There aren't forest green highlighters. It's going to be a bright green, you know, that sort of thing. So it was kind of like a play on words. It was kind of like another way to come up with some rare hits in the set. Like I said, each year we try to build on what we had the previous year and create even more rare inserts. So um, it just kind of adds to the catalog of rare inserts we can put into sets. And I thought this highlighter insert was kind of a good way to do that for this for this set. Is there going to be parallels, like numbered parallels of the Lunchbox Legends? I can't remember. I don't. I don't have the build in front of me. I. I, I know there's like a gold version of it. I can't remember if there's a numbered version of it. Also, uh, you'd have to look at the checklist on that one. The checklist will have it. If there's uh, there's no Easter egg numbered versions of it. So if it's not numbered in the checklist, then I believe there's like a gold version of them. But that's just like a fun little thing. Like I had, again, sometimes I take inserts off of my own personal uh, growing up, and I had lunch boxes of Detroit Tigers as a kid. And uh, I had, you know, the marble names and stuff like that and Transformers and GI Joe. So it's kind of like a play off of those seventies, eighties lunch boxes. Unfortunately, I wanted to die cut those, but unfortunately because of uh, how they are laid out on the form, it would have cost way too much money to die cut them and to get them through the feeder Unfortunately, they're not die cut, but I still think they're, it's a cool design and a kind of a fun concept. Again, not all these not all these inserts that go into series one and series two are meant to be like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of two thousand three four exquisite. It's just such a beautiful design. There are inserts in there that are meant to just be fun and and have fun with it, and that's that's one of the inserts. When you got to try a lot of new stuff, and yeah. sometimes things work really well, and Sometimes things don't. And I think it's, I've done enough stuff in, in the marketing world to understand that, you know, sometimes you have a, like a design like population count, which of course you like and you have a good concept, but you you ultimately don't know that that's the card that people are really going to gravitate to. And it just happens and you would never get those wins unless you, you didn't try. So one question, or do you have a response to that? I, I, I would just say, um, You'd be amazed the power of nostalgia. Uh, you really would. And I think that's, that's one of the, the big, I mean, other than the fact they're extremely, extremely rare on purpose, but the 16-bit, I don't know how many comments I said or I saw of people being like, 
That reminds me of Blades of Steel. That reminds me of uh, Sega 94. That reminds me of original ice hockey from Nintendo when you get the skinny player, the medium player, and the fat player, and you decide, you know, you pick your team. That is what uh, nostalgia is. It can, can definitely help an insert. So kind of last question I have, and it's, it's really a series one, series two mix, is that we seem to have seen this pattern over the last couple of years where like one of the things that we track real closely, Billy, from a just a secondary market value perspective is gem rate. And series one has had a lower gem rate pretty considerably than series two. And I know there's been different print facilities and, and so on and so forth, but we saw a really low gem rate again this year with uh, series one of 2022-23. Is there a reason for that? Or I'm just curious as to how you can have in series one gem rates in the high mid twenties to low forties and then have sixties and 70% gem rates in series two. I I have no control over that or don't know. I know that uh, the facility that's been printing our flagship for the past couple of years now has done, a, in my opinion, a great job. The stuff that I've seen our people here, here's my question. If you're, if you're referring to this year's series one, are people, are people, I understand the percentage that you're talking about, but are, are people really, what are the numbers of people submitting it, the cards that you're talking about compared to the cards that were submitted from previous years? Like, are, is there a larger number from the previous year where you have guys like Zegris and Caulfield and Cider and Raymond and stuff, as opposed to are a lot of people going out there saying, oh, uh, I'm going to try to get my Baneers, uh, I'll say Boldy for you, uh, try to get my Boldy sure. because it's going to increase the value immensely. I, I, I question if there's as many people submitting the cards because the cards might not value out as much as the cards from the previous year? I think that's a very fair question. Well, I have a couple comments on this, but it's, I think that's, number one, a very fair question. There's no way to put uh, you know rose-colored glasses on this. This year's your first crop of young guns hasn't performed as well. You have Kuzmenko, who's been by far the best rookie, where you have a bunch of guys around 20 goals or something like that, which, which is fine. I mean, it hasn't been a disaster, but not quite the hype that you've seen around other rookie classes. So I think that that could be a factor. The other thing that I find really interesting on the gem rate conversation is that it's sort of a double-edged sword, right? Is that so people are like very, oh, I'm going to next week when series or in the next week or so when series two comes out, I'm going to open a bunch of boxes, immediately send those young guns to PSA and try to flip them. Then the gem rate is really meaningful to you and you want a higher gem rate. But if you're a collector and even an investor that that is more interested in long-term value, actually the lower gem rates protect long-term value more so than uh, kind of like we're seeing with Kaprizov, right? Where he his young guns population PSA ten is so high right now because it's I think it's the third highest graded card ever because the gem rate is sixty five percent or something like that. Where if it had been 35, 40%, you would have better population control on it. So I, I think there's like two sides to, to the equation. And I, I'm not trying to say one's good or bad, because I think that's up to the person interpreting it. I'm just, it, to me, it's really interesting how you get these dramatic differences between a series one and a series two. Yeah, I, I honestly personally haven't seen it 
um, since the uh, the the rounded corner scandal of of uh, a couple years ago. Since then, our vendor that we've used since then, and they started in series two a couple years ago. So that is a big deal right there. From going from series one, where um, like you said, we had the rounded corners and there were some a few issues. We we have a, a different vendor that's been printing stuff since. I feel so. That'll kind of give you the reason for a couple of years ago. This last year, yeah. you know, I, I I don't know. I I haven't seen it. I I just haven't okay. seen it from my from my standpoint of. Oh, but I only open up like a case uh, when I'm at. So I, I might have a. I have a very 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 small sample size. No, that makes sense. All right. Well, hey, it's the weekend. I appreciate you taking out the time to come on and answer some questions for people and give great information like you usually do the. The Billy signal worked, so we'll keep using it as long as you keep answering answering the call. But uh, really, really appreciate your time. And like I said, your willingness to come on and answer questions that I think a lot of the card companies won't. So I really, really do give you a ton of credit for your willingness to talk about some of this stuff. I think that it's much appreciated by us, and I'm sure everyone that's listening. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer what I can answer. You know, you've asked questions and now you're finding out answers like, is there going to be a one-on-one young gun? And I usually have very uh, slick ways of answering such questions, but uh, sure. you'll, get your, you'll get your answer eventually. No, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I will be, uh, I, I'm a collector too. Like I'm actually, I'll be at the Mint Collective next weekend and be discussed. And my, the panel I'm on is basically collectors in the hobby. The misconception one that, that to be working or in the industry, that to be in the industry, you're a guy that has a table at a card show every week. And in fact, there's industry people such as you know myself or people that work for Tops, Fanatics, Panini, uh, Leaf, or PSA, or Beckett, or CSG, like all these different companies. Like there's collectors that are in the industry, and you know it does it. Uh, it it's an, I think it's important to have that. And then also, I don't know if you're going, but uh, I'll be heading out to the uh, to the Spring Expo this year in Toronto. So if you guys uh, do come by again this year, feel free to stop at the Upper Deck booth and. Uh, and and harass me and grill me questions again. You won't have to use such a strong uh, signal uh, to get my attention uh, as you have to do going from Minnesota all the way to California. We will be at the expo. We'll see you there. Good luck at the Mint Collective. And we did. And the hotel was gracious enough to get us adjoining rooms. So I'm sure that you're thrilled to hear that. Uh, no, thank you so much, Billy. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. All right, we're back. Uh, thank you again, Billy, for answering the Billy signal. I called it the Billy signal, like the bat signal. Try. You have to throw out <laughs> what is it like? Billy signal. The upper deck logo. The upper deck logo in the sky. So a lot of big changes, of course, coming to series one. There's not going to be 24 packs. There's going to be only 12. They're reducing the number of base, but increasing the number of hits. We're losing the French variation. Are you sad about that, Troy? Are you. I'm not sad about it because if it wasn't a Young Guns, I probably missed the French variation in my box 99% of the time. <laughs> so I would just fly through it and be like, oh. yeah." And then I have to go back through. I'm like, I know there's a French in here somewhere. I wasn't a big French collector. I'm a little bummed that the clear-cut exclusives is going to be axed. That, that I've always kind of liked that card, even though they're mm-hmm. almost impossible to hit. Yeah. Because they're super short print Easter eggs. 
biggest thing, though, Troy, is the four new parallels that are coming that we talked about. So you have essentially what's replacing the French variation in the the outburst silver. And then there's the parallels number to 25 outburst red. And then, of course, the gold one of one. So we're going to have a one of one young guns. Thoughts on that? I want to know what the one of one Bedard goes for. <laughs> Who's going to get that? I would love it if someone pulled it and just never sold it. Like they're like, oh, I love Bedard. I'm keeping this. This is awesome. So Billy had said that he he thinks that there's a chance that a high gloss could go for a hundred grand, regardless of even the one of one. Really? Wow. I don't know yep. about that. I, I'm not sure about 50 that. Grand, I, I wouldn't be. Can you imagine what the bounties are going to be like for that Bedard one of one? Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be insanity, but it will be fun to watch and fun for us just to sit there and opine on while it goes on. You know, too, somebody's going to pull it out of a blaster box at Walmart <laughs> or something like that. Oh, my gosh. That Wander, remember, was it Wander Franco's 101? I can't remember. Don't ask me what set it was. Maybe flagship tops baseball. The 101 got pulled from, like, it was either, like, a dollar store retail blaster or something. It was just hilarious. What do you think, too, about the Deluxe? So the Deluxe is going to be kind of in the same tree as the exclusives and high gloss. Deluxe will be out of 250, of course. We'll have exclusives continuing to be out of 100 and high gloss, of course, out of 10. Do you think adding another, you know, given more increase in the game and with Bedard coming out next year, that that's a smart move to add that one extra kind of parallel? Yeah, I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me or upset me it just gives another numbered young gun that's a little bit higher so i'm fine maybe with a it. little bit of more affordable obviously yeah with- did i was gonna say did and this is gonna be fun because i haven't even listened to the billy interview yet did he talk about the epac stuff does that still happen with the foils silver foils and all that a little bit what he talked about was because one of the questions that i asked him was how how do you ensure that this one-on-one bedard gets packed in a way or, or sorted in a way yeah. that gives everyone an equal chance. Yeah, it's not backdoored up to <laughs> some special pack or something. And, and he kind of goes through the process. I'm not going to repeat it, but he did say that yeah. the one sort of decision they'll make is whether or not to put in an e-pack or not. And I kind of read it between the leaves that it'll end up in hobby and not an e-pack. Okay. I think people would lose their mind if this card was pulled in e-pack. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. But I don't know how the wording is around e-pack and the randomness and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I probably agree, I agree with that. Well, we're going to move on now to mention PWCC real quick. They are a, of course, a gong show partner and sponsor. Thank them for supporting us and the hockey hobby. The PWCC weekly auction is live. So be sure to head to pwccmarketplace.com. Check out all the hockey cards they have available to bid on and add to your collection in this week's weekly auction. As of right now, Troy, there's 330 hockey cards in the auction. Pretty healthy number. Uh, you had mentioned there's a bunch of vintage ones to check out, too. So especially if you're a vintage guy, you might want to check it out. Mark your favorites and get your early bids in. We, of course, every Thursday, pick out our favorites and do our picks for the weekly PWCC. So we'll do that next show. Remember, too, that PWCC also has a vaulting service with some awesome grading options and a ton of hockey cards in their fixed price marketplace. So head to pwccmarketplace.com for more info. Okay, new product releases. So we're just going to mention and really, really briefly that 2021 SPX comes out on Wednesday. Like we always do, we'll have our instant reactions for Thursday's show. But the big thing we wanted to tackle in new product releases was a breakdown of the Series 2 checklist, which is scheduled to come out, what is that, about a 
little 10 days we can have from now or something like that. Troy, mm-hmm. we, we went over the Young Guns last show, but you did a more comprehensive breakdown. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, we just wanted to give a little bit more of a breakdown than just the Young Guns. So last show, obviously, as Josh said, he did the notable Young Guns kind of preview with some info that I won't rehash again. But just in case you didn't listen or forgot, the notable Young Guns we identified are Yurid Slavkovsky, Wyatt Johnston, Andre Kuzmenko, Jake Sanderson, Shane Wright, Arbor Jackeye, Dylan Gunther, Bowie, my boy Bowie. I love it. That's probably the best Young Guns in the set. And the Slavkovsky slash Shane Wright checklist. And also Declan Chisholm. I forgot. I skipped over him as I was just reading that. Overview. We have 2022-23 Upper Deck UD. I need to start saying UD. You're better at saying UD. UD Series 2. UD 2. Release date, April 5th, 2023. Subject to change. So we'll see if that sticks. Hopefully it does. Actually, no. I wanted to go to the 20th when we're at Toronto so we can get them at the expo, like the release day. But looks like that won't happen. So tentatively again, April 5th. Let's do the Hobby Box Breakdown. Cards per pack, 8. Packs per box, 24. Boxes per case, 12. And the Hobby Box Break, on average, to give you the breakdown, you get one clear-cut parallel, highlighters insert, rookie materials, or other hit card, six Young Guns cards, five inserts out of the Calder Candidates, Greetings from, Lunchbox, Legends, and or World Junior Grads, four UD Canvas cards, two UD Portrait Rookie inserts, two honor roll inserts, one regular base set or Young Guns French parallel, one instant impressions insert, one Dazzler's blue insert, and one additional insert. So that's your hobby box breakdown. Pricing at Steel City and David Adams in the US, they are showing $119.95. And curious, when I went on Steel City to look at their pricing last night, it said one box available, like one left. So I don't know if there's got a ton of pre-orders for it, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Or they just leave that up there and hope people see it and start buying it because they think they're going to run out. That seems really high. I'm not super excited about 120 bucks. Yeah, 120 bucks. And then at Clouts and Chara for our Canadian friends, they are showing $129.99 Canadian. And that's about a hundred dollars US yep. equivalent. Right? There, that's why I was like, "Whoa, that's so." I. If it does come we're out, buying our series. Yep, we're gonna wait till we get to Canada. <laughs> so then 100%. we'll buy our series too. No, we'll see. All right. In addition to hobby boxes, which we kind of just went through the breakdown, there will be blasters, tins, fat packs. There'll be e pack. There'll be the mega retail blasters. I don't know what you even call those things. Mega boxes, maybe. Overall, looking at the spreadsheet of the release, there are three thousand three hundred different cards in this release. Now let's look at the cards, kind of. Check some of the highlights. There's some inserts every turn. There's some new inserts. There's some uh, pretty cool cards. But again, Beckett or Cardboard Connection if you want to see the pictures and all that stuff. So the base set. We have 250 cards. The first 200 are the veterans. Remaining 50 cards are the young guns. Base set parallels are the French average out to one per hobby box. With vets landing one every 30 packs and young guns one every 120 packs. We have acetate clear cut cards. And those are exclusive to hobby packs and not available anywhere else, according to the sell sheet. So good for that. One out of 96 packs for those. And then the Young Guns clear cuts are one in every 288 packs. Finally, with the base set, there are serial number parallels that are the exclusives out of 100 and high gloss out of 10. So that's kind of our base get, set. Get your French while you can, right? 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think somewhere in here I put, now remember, all this is changing in 22 or 23, 24. But yeah. this is, so we'll have, I'm thinking there's extended this year, right? Has there been a preview on the extent? I can't remember. Don't ask me. Yeah, yeah, there's extended this year. Yeah, I was pretty sure there was. And like, that would be our, we have to have like a ceremonial send off to the last configuration of the past 20 years. All right, so we have our inserts. Inserts are next. To start, let's look at the inserts that are returning. We have UD Canvas, 90 veterans combined. They are one in eight packs. 30 young guns are one in 48 packs. The remaining 30 cards are split evenly between retired and program of excellence subsets, each with one out of 192 pack odds. There are also 101 UD Canvas print and printing plates that are randomly inserted. We also have returning, I'm not going to go through all the numbers on these, but we have UD Portraits, we have the honor rolls, we have population counts, dazzlers, fluorescents, day with the cup. I never realized these were so short printed, one in 1,000 hobby packs. And then rookie really materials. Yeah, rookie materials will be one in 144 hobby packs, which bring memorabilia to the checklist. And they also have patch parallels that will have 25 copies each. So out of any of those, do you want to hear any? Like, I'm not going to go into like all the different breakdowns for those. No. You can find them. They're pretty easy to find on the on the checklist. So the new inserts, let's talk about the new inserts. Highlighters. So what is highlighters? They put the spotlight on 25 major moments from the 21-22 season using acetate stock. Always a fan of acetate. The versions include yellow, which are one out of 192 packs, hobby packs. Orange, which is one out of every 576 packs. Pink, one out of 1,536 packs. And then green is one out of 4,608 packs. This is one I asked Billy about. So the, the acetate is tinted to the color of the oh, highlighter. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. It's one I'm really excited to see. I don't know what to make of it based on mm-hmm. internet images, but in person, I'm guessing it'll be, or I'm hoping it'll be pretty awesome. And the odds are tough. I mean, yeah. green 4,600 packs to get one. Wow. All right. Our second new insert. I actually like this one. I know people are probably going to hate it, but Lunchbox Legends. They fall one every 16 hobby packs, and they take the inspiration from the 1970s lunchboxes. There's parallels. There's a gold, which is one out of every 320 packs, and there's also printing plates available. I don't know if you have any opinion on the Zegris one that's in the sell sheet, but I, I kind of like it. I think they're pretty fun. He's the perfect player to put on the sell sheet. Yeah, he is. He is. I think we talked about what the pre- when we did the preview of it. I think we were talking about yeah. the Zegris lunchbox. I like it. Next new insert, Greetings From which fall one every 15 hobby packs. They focus primarily on the player's city or state has gold and printing plate parallels. Fourth new insert is world junior grads, which fall one every 20 hobby packs looks at some of the best from the world junior tournament. Pretty obvious has gold and printing plate parallels as well. And then our fifth, I don't know. I, this is one you can wear, use air quotes, right? It's, it's could be a new insert. Maybe how you're defining it is to call their candidates. These they did print these a long time ago, and when I was reading Beckett, it said the last time they printed these was Eric Lindos, Timu Solani, and Felix Potvin were rookies. So I'm going to call it a new-ish insert because it's back. And this is key names who would be contending for Rookie of the Year honors once the season comes to a close. They will fall one every 37 packs with gold, falling one every 739 packs, and printing plates are also available. So that's kind of the long-winded breakdown of the base, the returning inserts, and the new inserts. 
So just a point of clarification as you're talking, I was looking up because I was kind of curious on that world, the junior grads insert, it, there's no Connor Bedard. So it's all guys that have been in the league ah, yeah, that's for a while. I should, I should I, when, you're, when you're talking about it, I thought, oh, I wonder if they would put kind of find a way to squeeze Bedard <laughs> into this year, but it does not include that in case anyone is wondering. I don't, I don't like 120 bucks. That, that, especially given the rookie checklist, which isn't horrible, but it's kind of, there's no big superstar or potential generational type player on there. That seems yep, like I don't, lot. I think 120 is a little much. I'm more happy with the Canadian pricing, which what's that in today in US? About 93, 94 US dollars. We're definitely buying these in Canada, <laughs> but we're not if you're a customs agent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, to round up the show, there was a, kind of a cool player survey that was released this week by the NHLPA, and it's their 2022-23 NHL player poll. And I thought we would com- it would be fun to compare what players think about the best players in the league or players they'd most like to play with, which were kind of the hobby views, some of these guys. So the NHLPA polled 626 active players. It's their eighth consecutive year doing this, Troy, and asked them 14 questions about the game and current players and just life in the NHL. Won't go through all, right. all of them. Before we, we go any further, I messed up in the show intro. I said this was an athletic survey. It was an NHL PA survey. So don't listen to my intro. My intro is wrong. This was a, I thought this was a whole athletic article. So shows you what I know. No, no, NHL PA. Okay, like I said, we're not going to go through all of them for the sake of time, but we'll kind of highlight the biggest ones. So one of the first questions they asked is, if you need to win one game, who is the goalie you would want on your team? Forty or 52.3% of players said Andrea Vasilevsky. Does that surprise you at all? Does not surprise me one bit. What's craziest, though, is the then how like the gap between mm-hmm. number two. So number two was Igor Shosturkin with 4.8% of the vote. So you go from 52.3% to 4.8%. Then Flower at 4%. That's got to surprise you a little bit. Stop surprising it's even announced. I mean, with Vasilevsky, I get it. He's got cups he's been around he's been at such a high level and been the best goalie for who knows how many years he's going to get all that cred with him he's still good it's not like he's terrible so i can see why he was so far away ahead of everyone else the next at or fourth is connor hellebuck at 3.5 percent and the fifth place guy was Ilya sorokin at 3.2 percent so number one troy you must be shocked that there's no edmonton goalies at the top of this list yeah, Stuart Skinner hasn't been around in long enough to get even on the list. No, I, I wouldn't put any Edmonton goalies on there. More seriously, though, are you surprised that given the poll is taken this year, no Linus Allmark, or do you think players are just wondering if he's a one-hit wonder kind of guy? Yeah, no no pedigree. Plus, you could chalk up to a lot of his success and maybe Swayman's success to how good the team is in front of them. So maybe that's what some players were thinking. But it doesn't surprise me that Allmark's not in there. When considering the player's response from the hobby point of view, to me, the biggest surprise is that Ottinger isn't on the list, right? And so there's still a little bit of disconnect. Maybe he doesn't have the tenure yet. Maybe he hasn't built up his credibility. But you could say the same about Sorokin, right? They both mm-hmm. are basically have the same amount of experience in the league. Ottinger is currently seventh in save percentage and 10th for goals against. So it'll be, I guess, as this list evolves, it'll be interesting to see when he gets on there. But you know, the hobby is pretty 
I think lockstep behind Ottinger as one of the best young goalies. Yeah, I was thinking about this. List. It's like I'm an I'm an Ottinger Bobo. I collect him personally and everything. But I guess when they needed him to win last year, he didn't. So I, I don't know. Maybe they held that against mm-hmm. him. I don't know. Still played out of his mind, but <laughs> did all he yeah. could. All right. The next question: In a must-win game, which forward do you think would be most impactful? Are you shocked that it's Connor McDavid at fifty nine point three percent? No, give me the guy that I know has the possibility to score four goals in a game. I mean, that's what I'll take every time. Hundred percent. Then Crosby was second with eleven percent. So even at thirty five years old, that that surprises that, me. That surprises me. Third is Nathan McKinnon at eight point four percent. That doesn't surprise me because I think he, of any of like the kind of the stars or superstar bordering players, it seems like he makes his teammates better. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see people wanting to play for him. Kucherov is fourth at 2.3%. Bergeron, fifth at 1.5%. And Austin Matthews at 1.3%. Wow. Berge- I think that's telling. Bergeron ab- above Matthews. I mean, Bergeron's not there. For- Obviously, he gets his points, but he's an overall does-everything-well player. Nobody voted for Connor Bedard. sure someone probably tried to write him in for something to be funny. All right, going back to comparing this to the hobby, Kucherov is another guy that I think gets a baffling little or too little amount of hobby love or chase. When you look at him, he's one of only three players and the only non-oiler to have scored 100 points this season. He's got 102 so far. He has 274 goals, 444 assists for 718 points and 636 career games played. So he's got a 1.13 points per game average in his career. Not, I mean, He's a little touch light on the goal scoring, but not bad, Troy. He's like a .43 goals per game guy. Right, you can count on thirty to forty goals a season. So, just interesting that he continues to get much less of a chase. And to really prove that point, so I went and looked up over the last month. There's been on the secondary market only 165 Kucherov cards that have sold, which is pretty low. And to give if that if you need a little context there, right? We talked about Alex Newhook, who has really done nothing in the NHL at this point. He had 220 cards sold in the last <laughs> 30 days. So. But Tampa just Tampa Bay in general sucks for hobby love. Yeah, they do. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of curious cases there. All right, next question: Who is the top defenseman in the game? Kale McCarr with 63.9 percent of the vote. I'm I'm assuming that doesn't surprise you. No, and we've like I think we might have touched on this a little bit when you talk about GMs when they talk about top defensemen. McCarr's name's always up top still. What I did find a little bit interesting though is we'll go back. To the previous question for a second, in a must-win game, which forward would be most impactful? Connor McDavid was 59.3%. More people voted for McCarr as the best defenseman, Mm -hmm. right? So they're more, I guess, solidified in that choice. So he seems above and beyond, you know, by his peers to be regarded as the best. And there's the next is uh, Victor Hedman at 11.4%. Going back again to lightning players that just Mm -hmm. don't get... A lot of hobby respect. Roman Yossi at 6.0%. Eric Carlson at 3.3%. So this is one like where I asked the Linus Allmark question. It's like, and I didn't go back and look, but I wonder if Eric Carlson was on the top of the list last year. Here's the deal with Carlson. When I did my research on him and what I've known about him, he's not regarded as a top defender. He's an offensive defenseman who has some defensive liabilities in his game, which is interesting, but... I could see that working against him, obviously, in a question like this, when it's who's the top defenseman in the game. But he might and win the, the Norris Trophy. Year. He might win the Norris Trophy this yeah. year. 
Next two fall in that line, Troy, as offensive defensemen, Adam Fox with 2% and Rasmus Dahlin with 2%. So we've talked a lot about that. I think this is pretty in step with other than Hedman, probably, mm-hmm. with where the or Yossi even a little bit, but where the hobby is definitely preferring the offensive-minded defensemen versus more of the stout defender. Okay, next question. Who is the best stick handler? Patrick Kane comes in first with 46.1%, then Connor McDavid, 28.7%. Nathan McKinnon, 3.8%. Trevor Zegras, 3.6%. Nikita Kucherov, 3.3%. I wouldn't say it's a huge surprise here to have Kane, but can I ask a little bit of a controversial question to you, Troy? You ready? Sure. Uh, how much of that response is more of the just the Kane's reputation and legacy? Do you really think he's still above head and shoulders the best stick handler in the NHL? I don't know if he still is. I couldn't even tell you who is, but... I know there's that video of Kane where there's all the pucks on the ice and he's just dangling around them. Yeah, dangling around them like they're nothing. So that probably helps his reputation a little. I honestly, a lot of these NHL players are sick stick handlers when you watch them alone or what they can do by themselves. When it comes to a game, obviously, I've seen McDavid or yeah, McDavid, McKinnon, Zegras, but I haven't, I haven't actually watched the Blackhawks a lot this year. So I don't know if Kane still really has it. Also interesting to see Zegris get some love here. I would assume that, like, in the case of, like, we're just talking about Kane, where players that have had a long tenure, have respect, that have built up over their career across the league are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And so to be a real young guy like Zegris and to get put on, you know, to get as many votes as he did must mean that he's got uh, some pretty good hands. Okay, next question. Who's the best passer? A little bit closer on this one. So first is Leon Dreisaitl at 25%. Then Patrick Kane again at 13%. Nikita Kucherov at 10.5%. Panarin at 7.8% and McDavid at 7.7%. There's a couple things that come to mind here. So the first is dry sidle on your on your Bobo. I'm a dry sidle Bobo. In the most common, when I talk about dry sidle to anybody, the thing I always hear almost in every case, right? In the most common pushback is, well, he wouldn't be nearly as good without playing with McDavid. There's no argument. Of course you can make that Leon doesn't benefit from playing yeah. with McDavid. Of course he does. Of course he does. When you look at, Stuff like this, though, and him being considered the best passer in the league. I think it points to the flip side of that coin, though, too, where McDavid benefits from playing with Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that McDavid wouldn't be a great player on any team or any line that he plays on, but it can't hurt him to have the best passer, according to the NHL players, in the entire league, feeding him pucks, right? So I just think that it's a big, another feather in the cap. For, for Dreisaitl. The other note I have here, Troy, is the whole Kucherov thing. So if you go back and look at all these questions so far, he's the one guy that's near the top of the list in every case. And again, he's got 102 points this year, one of only three 100-point scorers. And he might be another guy that in the pasta conversation or Stamkos, uh, who's the other guys that we talked about, right, that maybe should be even mm-hmm. nearer at the top of that of that list. So Kucherov's name keeps coming up again and again. Okay, so here's a perfect hobby question. The next one is, who is the most underrated? Well, hold on, hold on. I got thoughts on this passer thing. Okay, okay. Well, well, let's go back to the passer thing. All right, three thoughts. One, yes, on Dreisaitl. I've said it many times, best passer I've ever seen. Two, I can't believe Kaprizov's not on here. He probably just gets hurt because they can't finish his freaking passes, but the amount of crazy sick passes we see from him. And again, we watch probably most of the Wob games, so we're kind of biased. And then three, if you think about it, Kucherov should be in the top defense from category two, so he should be on all of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there's like a show two reference that probably nobody gets anymore, but we still love it. 
Okay, now moving on to who's the most underrated. Again, I said this is like a perfect hobby yeah. question because we always want those breakout stars we can buy cheap and all of a sudden are going to explode onto the scene. Well, number one is Alexander Barkov at 23%, Tage Thompson, 4.3%, Mika Zabanajan at 3.3%, Sebastian Ajo at 2.9%, Jesper Bratt at 2.7%, and Braden Point at 2.7%. So there's really no guy that's really not on the radar here. I've heard a lot of, I'm listening to podcasts or reading articles from pundits and former players, as you do hear Barkov's name mentioned a lot as a really, really good player, but he just doesn't ever break out, right? He's played Mm -hmm. nine years now. He's about a point-per-game guy, which is good. He's about a .37 goals-per-game scorer, which to me is really good, just not exceptional. And I think injuries hamper his production, too. I looked at the last four years, and he's... The most games he's played is 67. He's had some years where he's played like 50 games. That sort of, and I know the COVID years in there too. So maybe that doesn't count. I don't know. You just, you always hear Barkov as such a great player mentioned by, you know, people that really know hockey, but it doesn't ever seem to translate to McDavid or Dreisaitl mm-hmm. level production on the score sheet. Do you have any thoughts on Barkov? The only thing about Barkov is I once bought a couple of his cards that were in a, like a dollar box for 50 cents in Iowa. So maybe I made a good purchase. Maybe they're worth $2 right now. The other guy I'd point to is Braden Point. He's some people have talked about him getting to 40 goals this year, which is a big deal. But again, he's another, he's like the what sixth option on Tampa Bay where nobody gets (laughs) another Tampa Bay player that no one knows or no one gives hobby love to. Yeah. So, so how do you, it's tough to make a case for him just because of that, but he's having a great year. We're just going to fly through a quick other ones and not spend a lot of time on it, but just ones I thought were maybe interesting, but not super hobby relevant. Which player do you least enjoy playing against, but would love to have on your team? So Marchand, of course, yeah, is number that's one easy. with 36.5%. <laughs> McDavid is number two at 15.6%. And I'm guessing that that's just because he's so good yeah, this guy because that, he's a raging a-hole on the, on the no, ice there. Guy that flies by me and I just turn my head and there he goes. This next one, I don't know a lot about the context why, but Tom Wilson. He's a, he's a pass. Per- he's another pass. Really? Yeah, a well, complete pass. And then Matthew Kachuk, who's another pass at <laughs> pass. 6%. I had McDavid twice on here. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious word. how you had McDavid twice. Was it McKinnon, maybe? McKinnon for the th- fifth one? Yeah, maybe. Sorry, I'll have, to, I'll have to look that up. Then what arena has the best ice? I don't know why I found this so fascinating, but Bell Center in Montreal is 35%. Uh, got the votes for the best ice, then followed by Rogers Place in Edmonton at 14.7%. Canada Life Center in Winnipeg at 10.3%. Oh, I know why I put this. Then our Excel Energy Center, Troy, the fourth best ice in the NHL, 8.6%. And T-Mobile Arena coming in at 6%. Go I was going to say, I, I go back to this ice question. It's great Excel's on Energy Center's on there. None of these would even touch the Met Center. So if the Met Center was still around, it would be at 100%. <laughs> there you go. All right, finally, which NHL player is the best guy in the locker room? So Flower comes in number one at 3.8%, followed by Phil Kessel, 2.7%, Kevin Hayes, 2.7%, Jakob Vracek at 2.7%, Ryan Johansson at 2.5%, and Nick Foligno at 2.5%. So your guy Flower is the funnest guy in the locker room, Troy. Oh, Flower, I I get He's a great personality. Yeah. Kessel, I love it. I want to hang out. I'd hang out with Phil all day. We'd eat hot dogs and just hang out. (laughs) All right. Well, another big show in the books. That is the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast for this Monday. If you like the episode, please leave a rating review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to us on. If you love the show, and how could you not, and want to support us and see us thrive, 
uh, and chat with us in our growing community in the Hockey Cards Gong Show Discord server, please consider a $5 a month out of 99 support level tier patron on the Patreon website. The link is in the show description. You can go to on the podcast app you're listening to us on. You go to our website, hockeycardsgongshow.com, and find the link there, the Become a Patron link. Or you can search the Patreon website at patreon.com for Hockey Cards Gong Show. And finally, on our link tree in our Instagram and TikTok profile, there's a link there. If you're not following us on social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And Troy, the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast is a production of Dollar Box Ventures, LLC. We'll see you on Thursday.